Pleasure to welcome back Emily Harris-Chuck from Syracuse Women's Lacrosse on the Block ESPN Radio. Emily, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am great. Uh, everybody holding up well, safe and healthy and uh, dealing with quarantine as best it can be these days? Oh, yeah. We're safe. We're healthy. Going a little bit crazy, but <laughs> all's well. How are, how are you training? How are you playing lax these days? You finding a spot to get out there and uh, and, and use the stick and, and keep the, the skills sharp? Oh, yeah. I ended up pulling out my uh, old backstop from about eight years ago out from under the shed since, you know, the school's all <laughs> shut down. So that's out in the front yard now with the bounce back in the net. So Fantastic. definitely keeping me busy. Fantastic. I, uh, I still have one in my garage. We used to call it back in the day. So I played here in Syracuse, Emily, we, in the West Genesee Shelf Park system. We used to call it the Woody Board because it was just this <laughs> big, giant, like, piece of plywood. And you would basically saw out... Like a, a a guy that you like a goalie you could stick in the goal, and it was he was called the Woody Board because he was made out of a piece of wood. I think I still have one somewhere. I'm gonna have to break that out and and get the old net out too, and and, and get out there and get some exercise. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, you, you should be playing right now. We know that, and I know you guys want to be out there, but still something to look forward to. What a process. You must have gone through these past few weeks, Emily, about Mm -hmm. you thought you played your last game, but then this beacon of hope comes out that, wait a minute, the NCAA could grant some eligibility to athletes in your situation. We now know that's the case. We now know that Syracuse will honor that. So, boy, just take me through what you have been going through the past few weeks and ultimately deciding to come back. Yeah, um, it's been a a crazy last few weeks. It all started when we were in Virginia. We were supposed to play Virginia uh, to kick off our spring break. And, you know, right before the game, the the morning of, after the walkthrough, we started to, you know, hear some chatter about the ACC potentially being the next to either suspend or cancel their season. And just, you know, two hours before we were supposed to leave to, to play, um, the ACC did just that. So there was lots of tears in the hotel conference room. Um, the entire team was there, um, and it was a, a room full with a lot of emotions. So, you know, the rest of that night and throughout the next day until, you know, mid-afternoon, everyone was, you know, very, you know, nervous that, you know, for the seniors especially, that that was really going to be their last game playing and, you know, a lot of, you know, sadness. And and it wasn't until the NCAA made their initial uh, release saying that they, you know, were looking to, to grant a waiver. And, you know, then the emotions quickly changed. Um, but then again, there was also a lot of uncertainty with that initial release. So for the weeks following up until just, you know, this past week, there was still a whole bunch of uncertainty on, you know, is this actually going to happen? Can we make this work? And, you know, just middle of last week, um, everything was, was still up in the air. And then I got a phone call from, from Coach Gate and, you know, everything was finalized and everything, you know, worked out the way that I had hoped that it would. And, you know, now I'm excited to, to go back for one more year. This is it's incredible because you know you mentioned you thought you played your last game and and all, this possibility comes into play. What if it didn't though, Emily? What were you gonna do if this second chance didn't come about? 
I think I, I definitely, it would have been a, a tough period of, you know, this absolutely stinks that it had to end this way. But I think in the end, you know, there's, there's still a lot of lacrosse to be played elsewhere. So I would find a way to, to get back out there and continue playing. And um, as far as, you know, finding a job went, I was really hoping to get into coaching. So I would have continued down that path and kept lacrosse in my life. Emily, uh, when Coach Gay called you, uh, he said something uh, pretty cool. Is this national champion Emily Harris Chuck 2021 on the line? And it just seems like, well, you guys know what the work you have to put in to accomplish that goal will be. But it seems pretty clear by you coming back, and I know a good friend of yours is coming back, who I'm going to ask you about here in a moment, but it seems pretty clear, like maybe this year you felt like you were a team that was capable of it, but it seems like that's just become the clear goal in coming back in 2021, and and you feel like you have a team that's capable of doing it. Definitely, 100%. Um, This year, everything was was working as we had hoped that it would every everyone on the field was you know playing as one unit um you know looking down the line we definitely we knew uh, as a team and as a group that that was you know what we were going to continue to work for and and if we did then you know we would reach our ultimate goal um so coming back next year i know that's you know, obviously top of the list for me and for my buddy Asa. We're, you know, going back to finish what we started. And um, I've, I made a promise to the team last August saying that, you know, I would work my hardest and, and give everything that I had to them so that when Memorial Day weekend in May 2020 came that, you know, we would win and we would be national champions. So um, I was happy to renew that promise to them and, you know, come back and do just that in 2021. Emily Harris-Chuck, our guest here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, who announced this uh, just recently she'll be returning for uh, another season of lacrosse next season. And you mentioned your friend Aza, Aza Goldstock, the goaltender for this team. When the season ended, uh, prematurely, of course, but when it ended, she was tops in the women's lacrosse side, seven goals per game. Not only her, Emily, as you know, but that defense was coming around. It seemed like there was a real balance on this team, offense between you, and and, and I'm going to leave some names out here, but Megan Carney and Megan Tyrell and some players that were really emerging offensively. But defensively, this looked like a team that was starting to lock it down, uh, led by Aza and Nett. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt, we had the number one defense in the country, and we had the number one goalie in the country, and I think that's how the final NCAA leaders showed it. Um, the defense that we have at Syracuse is absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal, And, you know, game after game, they continued to show up, and it was really left to the offense to, you know, pick up our end because the defense was absolutely crushing it. You and Asa have a special relationship goes back a while here. Tell me about that. How did you two kind of uh, meet and 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 kind of have this similar path in the game that led you to Syracuse and now we're leading you back for another season. We met quite a few years ago. Um, it was before sophomore year in high school, and we met at a, I think it was a, a Showtime camp. It had nothing to do with Syracuse, and we would cross paths there. There initially, we didn't you know, become friends yet. And then a month later we saw each other again at Syracuse camp. And it was there that, you know, our friendship kicked off and we've stayed in very close touch um, throughout the years. I was roommates with her freshman and sophomore year. And, you know, we, we, we 
came to Syracuse together. We knew that we had a goal together, and we're happy to go back for another year together. Emily, as as you think about next year and knowing who's coming back and, and not everything, all, not all the dust is settled, but it seems like you can see the forest through the trees now. But, boy, 2021 feels a long way away. So what's the process going to be like? How is the team going to stay in touch and kind of set some goals and, and determine how you're going to work out and stay in shape and, and then finally get to meet again, uh, we hope, and certainly it looks to be the case on campus in the fall? All right. 2021 does seem far away, but... I feel like it's also going to come up super quick once we get things rolling. Um, as of right now, we we have our weekly team Zoom calls, which is fun to, you know, keep up with what everyone's doing and hearing how they're handling all this. And, you know, we have an awesome strength and conditioning coach at Syracuse who's pushing out some daily and weekly workouts. So as of right now, everyone's keeping up uh, virtually through that. Um, but other than that, I think it's going to come down to just training as if we were on an extended summer break. So I know that for me, I'm going back to my summer workout routine and I'm sticking with that um, as I hope to be back in the fall, given that everything settles down. So Emily, uh, for those that are not familiar, you're from the Rochester area, I went to Victor High School, and I read this and I thought it was pretty incredible. So throughout your Syracuse career, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, you've been commuting back and forth from Rochester, right? I have the last couple of years. I lived on campus freshman and sophomore year, and then I started to commute junior and senior year. So is that uh, your family that it means that much to you? You just have a car with great uh, miles per gallon? Like, <laughs> why Why the commuting? I thought that was pretty unique to, to hear that story. I am very close with my family. I've, I'm one of four, and I'm the oldest, so I do have younger siblings. My youngest brother's 10. Um, so I, I love being home with them. I love supporting them at all of their games or, you know, my sister's a dancer and, and all that. Um, but as far as the, the gas mileage on my vehicle goes, I, I do drive a, t- a truck, so it's not the best, but it is, <laughs> it's a comfortable ride. <laughs> Emily, it's it's amazing to hear you're coming back. Uh, I think uh, the women's team is on track for uh, you know to be in the thick uh, of of the the conversation for a championship. We're hearing about a lot of men's players coming back. Danny Varello announcing recently he's coming back. Drake Porter. Uh, we're waiting on Jamie Trimbulli and a couple other guys. But it, it just feels like 2021. Yeah, you got this season taken from you, but it feels like next year could be pretty special, and and we could have uh, a double pursuit of of a title next year. At Syracuse, uh, do you keep in touch with any of the, the the men's players, and is there a relationship between the two squads? How does that work? Um, personally, I, you know, being from Victor, I do keep in touch with Jamie, but um, without a doubt, both men's and women's lacrosse teams were on on track to having an absolutely historic season on both sides. But um, overall, both of our teams are very close, so I know that. There's a whole bunch of excitement all together as, you know, one Syracuse lacrosse family. And it is exciting to to think that, yes, this year could have been the year and it, it, you know, was working that way. But at the same time, we all do have another shot at coming back and, and getting the job done in 2021. It's exciting to think about, but uh, in the meantime, hope everything's going well with you and your family. Stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, can't wait to 
to see you again and, and talk to you about a season that you're playing in and, and being back on campus and, and being back to whatever normal is going to be throughout this. But uh, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations on, on your decision, and I'm, I'm glad everything worked out that way for you. Thank you so much for having me. Stay healthy, and I hope to see you soon. You do the same, Emily. Thank you so much. It's Emily Harris, Chuck, Syracuse Women's Lacrosse, our Buffalo Bills beat guy, Matt Perino on the block. So you're in the podcast game now too, buddy. How's that been going? Yeah, it's it's been going really well. It's been really well received. Um, we had plans to roll it out probably closer to middle of the year, right before um, training camp, because the live component is going to be the, the biggest component of the show. But because of what's happened, we, we kind of elevated the timeline a little bit. Uh, expedited it a little bit, I should say, and we uh, we found a few ways to do it. And so we're, we every Wednesday night we're live on YouTube. Search NY up on YouTube, and you'll find the live stream 7 p.m. And then that will go immediately to all the podcast platforms, and we'll be releasing a couple uh, various different pods all over the place. Uh, we're just getting started, so yeah, we're excited about it. Fantastic, good to hear. So we'll get to the bills certainly in the draft coming up, but. Uh... Oh, boy, Gronk's back, baby. How about this? Getting the band back together in Tampa. So New England and and Tampa, uh, just in the last hour here, Adam Schefter reporting and now confirmed out there, swung a deal, and uh, Gronk and Brady reuniting because it feels so good down in Tampa. Yeah, it's interesting. First thought I had was (laughs) with the way that he played so coy about being retired, you you wonder – Tom came out and said that, you know, he knew that last year was going to be his last year in New England. So I'm wondering if he didn't tell Kronk, chill out for a little bit, we'll, uh, we'll regroup in 2020. Um, and it's even more interesting because I actually talked to somebody that knows Gronk, and uh, they, they basically told me that he was retired. So he was playing it pretty close to the vest as well. Um, depending on maybe the right fit, the right landing spot, everything had to work out well. I know he spends a lot of time in Florida, so um, it'll be interesting. He, he obviously changed his body. Uh, if you've seen the way that he looks now, he's completely different. I guess he's been adding some weight back on. But that's a, that's a big uh, down and then up again progression that your body's gone through. So I'll be interested to see if he's the same guy, uh, especially a, a whole year away from the game. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Matt, that is a big trade, but one of the bigger trades we've seen up to this point, of course, was Stephon Diggs traded to the Bills, uh, that Vikings deal, and that shook things up. And, you know, let's just kind of circle back on that and the Bills making a splash and giving up their first-round pick to do it, and we'll see what happens as the, as the trade progresses here. But now that the dust has settled on that, was partially the reason for that because maybe – they felt like he was a better option than the receivers they were looking at in the draft. Like, how did this all play out now that we've seen uh, time pass a little bit here and, and the results of the trade? I think first and foremost, you take a look at what's available on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in this draft, and there is some really high-end prospect talent at the receiver position. But that's just it. They're a prospect. You, you don't know what's walking into your building and if it's going to – uh, eventually lead to the kind of production that Stefan Diggs already has shown uh, in his five seasons to be able to produce. I mean, he's coming off of two 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, I thought he was the interesting part of his game last year 
is that his yards per catch went up significantly. He still had the same production, a uh, little drop off in touchdowns. I think he went from nine to six, uh, but just his ability to impact games at every level of the field. That those guys, those kind of weapons don't grow on trees, and you need to get Josh Allen a weapon. I'm sure Brandon Bean was sitting there uh, on the first day of the legal tampering period as uh, the Arizona Cardinals traded for DeAndre Hopkins for Kyler Murray, and Josh Allen was probably sitting there too like, hey, man, Kyler Murray, second year in the league, he's getting one of the best receivers in the game. You know, I'm sure he didn't say this, but it's almost like get me something. Get, get, get Josh Allen something. And so that's what Brandon Bean did, and I – I think even if you look at the top of this draft, and Jerry Judy, Henry Ross, the two Alabama receivers, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, and then there's kind of a, a, a nice little collection of guys that are all really promising. I mean, Brandon Ayuk, uh, J- Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, there's some uh, Jalen Rager. There's some interesting names, and their skill sets are very interesting, but it's still, you're taking a swing. You're taking a swing, and you're hoping you're not going to miss. I think with Diggs, that is a day one going to produce a uh, multifaceted weapon. Uh, and we know how they like multiple players, guys that can do multiple things. I think he's a better version of John Brown, more physical after the uh, catch at the point of attack. Uh, I think that in a game like Houston, you go back to what happened in that second game last year or earlier this year, they needed somebody that when the defense knew the ball was going to Stefan Diggs, Whoever that player was, uh, in the case against Texas, it was John Brown. You got to make plays, and I thought John Brown left some plays in the field. He's limited after the catch. Stephon Diggs just adds a whole new dimension to his offense. One more trade note before we get into the draft: Leonard Fournette is on the market, as our friend Ryan Talbot wrote about on NYUp and Syracuse.com. The Bills were actually listed as the betting favorite to get Leonard Fournette. How strong of a possibility do you think this is that they're actually interested in talking to the Jags and, and making a move here? You know, I'm um, skeptical uh, of any interest on the on the Bills side, and I don't think it's for anything other than the guy doesn't seem like he is dedicated. You know, you read all these stories about being late for team meetings, not not really seeming to care. And that might have something to do with the Jacksonville culture. Uh, obviously, it's not an organization that's been known for its ability to create a good culture and be a winning franchise. And the mass exodus that's happened in that franchise, I mean, going back to Jalen uh, Ramsey and everything that's happened since. And now you have Yannick and Yakway, who's social media bantering with the general Mary, with the owner. So, I don't know. I I am of the belief that you don't need to give up a significant asset for a running back. You look at what happened in San Francisco. They went out and they signed Jared McKinnon. They went out and signed Tevin Coleman. And who was the guy that ended up being the, the most important piece? It was Raheem Mostert, the undrafted free agent. Matt Breida, another big part of what they do there, an undrafted free agent. So I think that, like, this is the kind of position where you just comb through, uh, you know, late in the draft. I know A.J. Dillon is a popular name, uh, Michael Pirine out of uh, Florida. Uh, there's some guys that I think have some talent that fit the mold of a Leonard Fournette where you don't have to play the price tag. Now, I will say this. If it does add into a comp pick formula and you can get him in here, he'll buy in, you give up a six-round pick, comes in here on, a cheap, on the last year of his deal, it's not super expensive, 
and you can let him go at the end of the year and get a comp pick back, okay, that, that, that's where I, I start to get uh, where I'll, I'll talk about it. But I just think that he just doesn't seem to be a fit for the kind of program they run here. Uh, but I've been wrong before, so we'll see. Now, least we forget, by the way, Leonard Fournette, Shaq Lawson, that little brawl uh, not too long ago that led to the ejection. So I think maybe he uh, canceled himself out of going to Buffalo in that instance. Matt Perino's you know our guest the here. highlight of that? What's that? You know what the, uh, the, you know what the highlight of that was? Uh, Sal, Sal Capaccio, right in the middle of it. Uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, that image will never leave my brain. That was uh, awesome. Listen, by the way, Sal can hold his own down there, too. My man works out. Oh, yeah. Right? He could he can oh, mix yeah. it up, even with uh, big brutes like uh, like Fournette and, and Lawson, that's for sure. Our buddy Matt Perino with us here from Syracuse.com, NYUp.com. All right, draft coming. Bill's sitting out the first round. As they approach their pick in the second round, uh, how do you think this is going to play out? What are the best scenarios for them for that pick? And then let's kind of go through the draft itself and and what the best strategies will be. So, yeah, so I think that um, a lot of fans are really hung up on running back, uh, edge rusher. And the the closer we get to this thing, the more I think that those – neither of those positions are really in play at 54. And I know a lot of people are going to kind of hang their heads, but you really look at this Bills roster and the edge rusher position is pretty stacked right now. I mean, I know it's an older position group, uh, Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy, Mario Addison, all uh, over 30. But for right now, with what you need to win in, in, in 2020, I think you're set there. So I think you go best player available. I don't think that will be an edge rusher because even Terrell Lewis, who could be in the conversation from Alabama, is likely to be off the board uh, just because I think people will, will stretch a little bit for an edge rusher. And then you just have a pocket of players there after him uh, where I just don't know how comfortable you are with the 54 pick being your number one pick going that way. So I think as we've gotten closer here, I've really come around on the idea of being maybe trading down a couple spots. One team that's going to be edge rung, uh, rusher hungry is going to be the Seattle Seahawks at 59 and I think 64. Um, I don't know if you can get those two picks away from them, but uh, they also come back and pick at 101 in the third round. So maybe if you package down, you, you give up a fifth and the 54th and you move down to 59 and 101. Now you have three picks in the top 100, basically. Uh, and... Uh, you, you can make a dent there. I think wide receiver still in play. I think if they really, really want uh, a higher end uh, running mate for uh, Devin Singletary, there, there's some options there uh, at 59-2. Cam Akers out of Florida State is a name that I really, really like. Uh, and then all it's, it's going to always be in play here is that they, they created the big nickel coach role. Uh, they, they promoted Jim Salgado and, so I think that they want to implement that position more so in, in 2020. And I think Saran Neal is perfect for that role. I think he's been groomed for that role. But if they want an upgrade there, Kyle Duger is, is a real name to watch out of Lenore Ryan. Uh, they, scouts love this guy. And, and from what I've heard, the Bills like him too. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if he's in play. I still think as, as high as his stock has risen, that 54 or even 59 is still a little bit high for um, – uh, a big a big nickel player, uh, maybe a backup to Matt Milano, that weak side linebacker, but we'll see. I, I think there's a lot of positions still in play, and at the end of the day, listen, if, they, if they're sitting there at 54 and Cole Komet out of Notre Dame 
uh, is just sticking out on their board as like a high second-round grade, top tight end in the class. Even with Dawson Knox on the roster, I still think that's something that Brandon Bean said he's going to go best player available. So I'm very interested to see how this thing plays out and where we're sitting at 54. And interestingly enough, tomorrow I'm going to put out my 54 or uh, my top five scenarios. So basically everything that I think is going to uh, happen and, and put ourselves in the position of Brandon Bean and be like, okay, if this scenario happens, this is what should happen. Uh, and so I'm excited to go through that process. I've, I've been banging away at it all week. Interesting. Can't wait to read that. That's what we call in the radio business a tease, Matt. Well done. Well done, my friend. Looking forward to <laughs> to reading that tomorrow. Uh, look, th- this draft's going to be unique. It's going to be all Zoom and teleconference and uh, a, a different format, of course, in the world we're in today. So that might lead to less trades. That, that being said, if you had to bet on it, Matt, what, what's the likelihood that Brandon Bean makes? I think he's certainly going to make at least one trade in this draft, but how active do you think he could be? I think he's still, I still think he'll be active, and I think that he's probably almost looking like at this as a challenge. Uh, how can I outmaneuver people and put ourselves in a position and maybe take advantage of some other GMs that struggle with this um, situation? Uh, he's a really competitive guy. They're a really comp- competitive front office. Uh, there's continuity there. And you're talking about Joe Shane, who's been with them, Brian Gain, who's been with them, Dan Morgan, who's been with them. I mean, this is not the first rodeo or go-around for this front office at a draft. And they've knocked a couple out of the park. And even McDermott, in his first year with Whaley still kind of hanging on, uh, killed it with Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins, Matt Milano. So this is, this is a regime that this is their day, this is their time, uh, where they really rise above the rest. So I'm thinking, I think the way I see it is trade down maybe in the second round. I know that's not super sexy, but, and then maybe a trade up to get aggressive to maybe get another guy in the third. Um, and that's another thing about this, Brent, that's funny. You look at this roster, it's, it's pretty, pretty set. I think that they're at 70 70 players now after the addition of uh, Evan Bain, uh, the versatile offensive lineman depth piece that they signed from Miami. So 70 players uh, already on the roster. You're looking at 90, taking them. Uh, so you got to add you know, some unrestricted free agents, uh, undrafted free agents. I mean, uh, it's going to be – I don't think they need a lot of players in this draft. So if they can get five good drafted players uh, and then do their work uh, – on the, on the undrafted guys, and, and that's another area that they've been really good at. And interestingly enough, one of the, one of the reports out this week uh, has been that most GMs are concerned about after the draft and what the undrafted free agent process is going to be like because most of the time you sit in the draft room with everybody else and you're kind of calling guys and uh, you only have so much money that you're allowed to spend, so... If one guy's trying to get a guy over here and another guy's getting a guy over here, he's like, ah, I got 12000 to play with. You got, you got 17000 to play with. And it's, it's just back. It's almost like a, uh, a meat market in a lot of ways. Or, uh, you know, so it, that process is going to be very interesting. So if they can take advantage of that and, and, and take a couple swings and hits in that department, that could also help them uh, fortify this roster at the end here. 
Matt, final question for you here. Look, I think the draft will answer this question, but let me throw it out there before the draft, and we'll see how it plays out. Are, are the Bills now the favorite in this division? I mean, look, New England is not going to sit by idly and, and let this happen. They're going to be as aggressive as anybody. Here you have Miami, who has the opportunity to pick a, a Tua or a Justin Herbert and establish a franchise quarterback and continue their rebuild. And and the Jets are the Jets. I don't really have faith that team's going to take this division. But it is a little bit more wide open than usual with Tom Brady moving on to Tampa Bay and now with Gronk and still. But are the Bills in that position now and the draft will help answer that question? Or are they in position to be the favorites in this division no matter what? I think with, with where we stand now, the Bills are the favorite in the division. I don't foresee anything that could happen that would change my mind on that. Even, a, say, a Cam Newton or a Jameis Winston uh, flyer on one of those guys. Who, who are those guys throwing the ball to? I mean, you look at some of the weapons that both of those guys have had uh, at their disposal over the course of their career. New England doesn't really have much. I mean, Enkil Harry, uh, nothing at the tight end position. I mean, is it sure they could maybe draft a couple of receivers in this draft or you know, maybe get a tight end in this draft, but they're going to be rookies. And, I, and another thing, we don't even know if there's, what the off-season program is going to be like. Is there going to be a full training camp? Uh, I think rookies are more at a disadvantage now than ever. So the Bills, the continuity that's built on their coaching staff, uh, within their roster, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, especially now, uh, no new starters probably back other than Diggs in, in 2020. I think that the Bills are positioned perfectly to run this division. Now, I, I do think the schedule uh, is difficult, uh, but I think this is where that culture piece is the most important. And I don't think Sean McDermott will let that be uh, something that affects the team and, and how many games they're able to win. I think he's going to almost challenge them as to be like, yeah, we got a tough schedule. Big deal. Move on. Next week, next opponent, next man up. That's their mentality. And so uh, I, I think that the Bills have the best roster top to bottom. I thought that they outplayed New England maybe six and a half quarters last year and probably should have won at least one of those games. Uh, so I think that even if Brady was back, I, I, I'd, say the, I'd say the Bills are the favorite in the AFC. Matt, appreciate the time and the insight as always, my friend. Keep up the good work. We'll be uh, watching and listening to the podcast as the draft approaches. And uh, keep up the good work, and certainly we'll get you on uh, down the road, my friend. Thanks, brother. Take care.